You're listening to Brave New Words. I'm your host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... I'm Ross. Uh, producer Al. Cy Lloyd. And I'm Dal. On today's show, we will be talking about The Ninth Rain um, by Jen Williams. Um, it's marvellous and it's in my hands right now. Um, we will also be talking about books in general, but mostly The Ninth Rain and Fantasy. Uh, you can always catch the show, by the by, on social media. We are the uh, Brave New Words Super Secret Book Club. We are at Radio Bookworm on Twitter. If you're listening to the show, please do tweet us because we need, you know, your friendship because we're lonely. Validate us. We treasure your friendship. Uh, tell all of your friends. Invite everyone you know on social media to the Super Secret Book Club. All the rest of it. Please, please, please. Uh, just, you know, promote this place because we can't be bothered. Um... Not that we can't be bothered, we just don't have a good <laughs> This is not very good, it is. So, um, shall we have a jingle? Let's have a jingle. Starburst Radio, the greatest radio show in the universe. Every Wednesday, 9pm till 11pm. Exclusive to Fab Radio International. That was a lovely jingle. A lovely jingle. Good work, Al. Thanks. So, um, uh, the ninth ring. Um, shall I answer the obvious question? Yes. Do you want to ask the obvious question? So, is this a sequel to the eighth ring? No. They, right. Okay. So, the ninth <laughs> ring. No, it's not. The the ninth ring is the first book by in a new series by Jen Williams. Um, she has been raved about on the show before because she wrote the Copycat series. Uh, which I absolutely adored. Uh, that's the Copper Promise, uh, The Iron Tide, that okay. series of books. Uh, I really, really like them. Big, proper fantasy novels with a dragon on the cover. Uh, this has got a raven on the cover. It's a big raven. It's a very big raven. Very big raven. I mean, to be fair, I've not got much to scale it against, so I, it could just be a you know, microscopic... It, it's small, <laughs> far well, away. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, Thank it's, you, Sai. That's yeah. Very close! <laughs> There's a lightning bolt next to it or something, but... Uh, it's more of an eagle, really. It's like more of a, an enormous fantasy creature. Okay, if that. you're an ornithologist, please identify this bird. <laughs> uh, actually, is now it, I know exactly what it is. Is it a kestrel? Nope. Because kestrels don't have feet like that. Is it uh, a griffin thing? I was going to say... It's a it? griffin thing. Oh. Not a griffin thing? Is that half man, half bird or something? Half lion, half eel. Yeah. Uh, I love griffins. They're my favourite mythical Isn't that a bit impractical? No, it's entirely practical because you can ride them. It's a flying creature that you can ride. Mm. But the thing that I'm saying. Where do the bits? Where do the bits meet? Like which bit of eagle do you get? Which bit of lion do you it's get? It's got like a, a, you get basically got an eagle's head and wings, and you've got a lion's body basically. And cut legs mm. and legs. How many legs? It's got four legs. Four yeah. legs and wings, so it's an insect. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a vertebrate, so I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe not. Then. <laughs> As opposed to a manticore, where it's got a man's face, uh, eagle wings, a lion's body, and a scorpion's tail. Yeah. Birds generally have That's hollow mess, bones or something, you know, so they can, because they're less enough to fly. How many yeah, of the yeah. bones of the griffin are hollow? Right, okay, this, <laughs> this is a book podcast. This is not a crypto, uh, mythological cryptozoology podcast. Good, because you but thought it was a why? raven. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, exactly. Uh, I, I flunked magical creatures. Um, I was. I took. I, I. made too many jokes about Hagrid's beard. If you've not got your owl level or whatever that's called. No, no, that's why I ended up doing GCSEs as well. I'm a. I'm a Hogwarts school dropout. 
uh, as as we all have established. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Did you get your owl? He's a squid. He's a squid. So, um, anyway, that's that's really sad. Um, the ninth rain. So this sounds like we're getting back on topic. We are, Dangerous. but. The prologue. <laughs> We're trying. <laughs> there, there, there's a reference to Up Pompey, a TV show that no one's seen in several decades. Um, oh, so that must be on a cable channel somewhere. Come yeah, on, I've must. Oh, telly. Did you not? <laughs> the Nine Three. <laughs> by Jenny. <laughs> no, 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 Red. You're not going to win this. <laughs> I really am. It's a really good book, and it deserves a, a nice ramble. Uh, so. Uh, anyone who's read uh, her stuff before will know that she's very character-based and she's very world-based. Um, so, um, where to start, I think, is the, the first thing. So I'll start with um, the the lady, Vincenta de Grajon, who is known as Vintage, uh, which is great because I can pronounce Vintage. Um, <laughs> it's probably Vintage or something, isn't it? it she's, uh, basically, she is a vineyard owner, or she's part of a family that owns a vineyard because of stuff that's happened to the world um, this this massive vineyard has huge huge grapes because uh, like massive kind of bowling ball sized grapes because the the actual land itself has suffered from invasions so this is where I start what what is the ninth frame what is the eighth frame the eighth frame this world is a world that suffers from invasions by um, these alien beings called the Jurelia, who rain down from the sky in their enormous behemoths. Sometimes the behemoths very excitingly crash to the planet, um, and things rain out of them, and these are horrible, horrible spidery things that aren't spiders and aren't anything else, and they squat out insects that then grab people, hollow those people out, and make them into monsters and drones. Ew. So it's a horrific invasion. Giant maggots descend from the sky and, oh. and, and, and poop kind of varnish on things and, and drown people in muck. These are horrible monsters. But these th- this hasn't happened in a very long time. And the reason it hasn't happened in a very long so But the world's been scarred. It's been mutated by these invasions mm. because stuff gets into, you know, the, the varnish can never be removed. Um, the, the muck can't be removed. The, this, this huge kind of chunks of... Let's be honest, alien warship, just just in you know, and there's like a castle growing out the side of it where people have just gotten on. You know, there's this is behemoth there. People have built a, built a huge kind of wall round the behemoth because it's a terrifying artifact of of death. And then a hundred years later, they've gone. Well, you know what? Lots of people go past this, so let's build a a town. Let's live here. That's actually we should we, do, if we, yeah, if we put us you know, put the the, the sun down shut it, get the right in the other sun, where if we put it around there we'll keep cool from the sun. Well, because of all the, the horrible muck that's come out from this, the the, the grapes grow really well. Hmm. So hmm. you know, so and so on. So people have just gotten on with their lives. But clearly there is something wrong in the world. One of the things that Vintage has done is she's gone out into the world and she is a lady adventurer. And oh. in my head, she's about, she's probably 40s, maybe a bit older, I'm not sure. She's definitely an older lady. Oh, that's awesome. She uh, is vintage. She is vintage. She's, is she a good vintage? She's an excellent vintage. She's fantastic. <laughs> and she's got, she is a woman with opinions. Excellent. Um, oh. And she has uh, a bodyguard. Her bodyguard is called Tourmaline, uh, a tour for short, uh, the awfulest, even. And Tomlin is not human. He is a race called the Aborans. The Aborans used to be this. This they, they had this huge, 
huge ancient uh, wood god, uh, tree god, that they would drink the sap of and they would live for a very long time. And that meant they could spend 10 years studying martial arts and 50 years studying sex. And they could have these amazing kind of lives where they were rich, involved culture. Got the proportions right, at least. And exactly, they could be they could be masters of anything they wanted to, but unfortunately, after the eighth reign, their tree god died. Oh. So rather than drinking the sap, they discovered there was another way that they could stay immortal. So the varnishy gunk stuff. No? Human blood. Oh, I wondered if you were going to say that. What? Ah, ah, ah. Yeah. So their societies kind of collapsed due to, you know, cannibalism. Um, there's more to it than that, but I don't want to spoil the book too much, but there's yeah. there's more to what's going on. So Tor is a kind of a young example of his race, and he's a dying race. So he's an interesting elf. Because mm. in elves are a bit boring, whereas Tor is hot and cool and grumpy and an actual character. And his sword is called the Ninth Rain. Uh I've only just looked at the book as well and realised it's the ninth rain is in like R A I N and I thought it was a rain as in like to rain over something, especially when you talk about invasion. Yeah, I was thinking whether that was a pun because I did see the the word as you know, yeah. but I wondered whether there was a pun in the title. So is it, because you mean like the the horrible things rained down? They, they rained oh, down. Okay, it's cool. a rain. So so the eighth rain was the last big invasion. Okay, um, and the ninth rain is a sword which basically just hits people from overhead. Uh, the ninth rain is there's a reason why it's called the ninth rain it okay, is explained okay. um, the, the ninth rain is Tor's, is the name of Tor's sword that yeah. is very true and um, it's not just calling it that because it's really destructive that would be the assumption I made at the start and uh, he probably made that name and it's ironically taken on another meaning during the story or something who knows I'm avoiding spoilers because I really want people to read this novel um yeah. There is a third significant character. So, let me explain to you the winery. This is all in the first, like, this info dump, by the way, is fairly early on. Mm. But let me explain to you the winery. So the winery is awful. Some Sometimes, sometime in this world, women will develop the ability to suck life energy from the ground and turn it into fire. Winner fire, it's called. Green flame. The winery takes these women puts them somewhere safe so they can't hurt the rest of society. Oh. Because, you know, women are power dangerous. Oh. So, when we first meet uh, Felnoon, she is, in fact, locked up in a tower for being a, a horror and for being danger- dangerous and for being told why she is... You know, and she's constantly told that she's a monster. Um, it's interesting. It is interesting how the purging process that makes their souls pure... It's also very useful for producing one of the most popular drugs in the world. It's interesting that. It's interesting how all of that is, is quite convenient. One of the things that's interesting about Vintage is Vintage absolutely hates the winery entirely. However, there is a, a little bit in the book where she's like, I'm selfish and pragmatic. So she invests in certain things that the winery do, do because she's selfish and pragmatic. And it's useful for her to put money into certain endeavours. Mm. Um, and she, you know, she gives her ethical reason, and you're like, 
Yeah, no. You are, in fact, just a three-dimensional person who is capable of being selfish, which is nice. I like that in heroes. Mm-hmm. I like it when heroes have their feet, in, feet of clay in front of you. Uh, so, Felnian Noon is one of the characters. Agents of the Winery are people who work for the Winery. Here are witches. Fly giant bats. <gasps> witches on giant bats. Yes. Uh, there's a giant albino bat who's controlled by whistles. Um... And he's brilliant. He's, he's fuzzy as well. He's all fuzzy faced. And he, uh, he's a little fuzzy faced. And like, because I, because I'm a big fan of Pipistrels, as people who know me very well will know. Why I, I, I love mammals and I love bats very much. So, um, and I just, and in my head, it's just an enormous Pipistrel with his kind of little fuzzy, you know, little fuzzy noses, yeah. uh, a little fuzzy. Was that an impersonation of a bat or an impersonation yep. of Hartley? Um, <laughs> Hartley's different. Aww. We, we are impersonating bats in there. Yeah, good radio. Yeah. <laughs> Hartley can't fly. Hartley, if you're new at the show, there what do you is mean a... Hartley can't fly. <laughs> no, he, he transports through through bookshelf to bookshelf. Yes. Hartley's the silent cast member of the show, by the way. Uh, he's a bunny rabbit. He lives in the book nook somewhere and in transdimensional book space. Yep. It resembles flying if you see it. Isn't it? Although, so slight deviation. Um, Sky did a TV adaptation of Dragon Slayer over Christmas. The la- the last Dragon Slayer, sorry. And um, there was a bit with a flying bunny, and his ears were like little um, fluffy, and his tail was like a helicopter. <laughs> it was amazing. <laughs> isn't that how Snoopy flies as well? Like, and Snoopy jumps. No, but when he jumps off the plane. Oh. Okay. He is, yeah. um, he is. I was going to say when he duels the red baron he's definitely in a play yeah. but anyway yeah so flying rabbits freaky and exceptionally cute um, back well, to the story flying bats yeah. in this one so is it any good yes it yes, sounds it is. really exciting um, it's the first of a series um, like the, 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 the last one was um, it, it's one of those right, what General Limps does really well because I had concerns about the first trilogy and they read the first trilogy, loved it to pieces loved all the differences in the characters and all the, the kind of different ways they behaved and I was just like I have a concern and my concern is will the next book be more will her next trilogy be more the same mm. will, you know, is this it is this what she does and the answer is no, definitely not but she does have obvious signatures so yeah. one of her obvious signatures is this is not a D&D world where they are fantasy monsters just there. Um, fantasy creatures, amazing creatures and amazing things exist, but everything that exists there has a reason and a logic to it. Okay. So, you know, if you meet something that looks a bit like a lion and looks a bit like an eagle, there's a reason why it's there in the world. It's not just, you know, lol hippogriffs. Mm. Sort of thing, so it's and you know, not having a go at uh, J.K. Rowling's world, J.K. Rowling's world is a world that is like lol dragons, you know, dragons are just there, this is part of the world, just deal with it, sort of thing. Mm. Whereas this is like fantasy, magic, and wonder, and difference is rare, diversity is rare, and we should hang on to it because it's precious. Um, and also, we are stronger with it than without it. Mm. That's the theme of this novel diversity is a precious, precious thing that we should can grasp and I don't just mean witches and I don't just mean yeah. magic or monsters I mean you know diverse cultures diverse worlds why are because um, you're saying like the agents of the winnery are witches so why are witches okay and was it winnowers 
no, 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 no. Uh, agents of the winery are witches that are just trusted more by the church. So there's okay. a winery, uh, which is an organisation, and they capture witches and they put them in a cage. Yeah. Oh, and, okay. And some witches are allowed so, to come out. And, and some witches they have leverage over, so okay. they can they can go out and do things. Mostly they're hired. Mostly, if they're of a certain mindset, they're just like, "Do you have a war going on? Here is a person that can explode the flame." <laughs> Sorry, the way you sound made it sound early made it sound like they were different kinds of powers because you've got one set of women who draw power from the ground and turn it into fire, and this other group fly on round on bats and don't touch the ground. Same women, right? The same women, but they don't okay. touch the ground. So how do they 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 don't get power from the? Oh ground. no, they, can... they jump off the bat and do the thing. Oh, they take right. power from living things. Okay, right. so they can take power from people as well. Yeah, fair enough. I just got a sort of impression of well, if I want to say in, in a sort of elemental fashion, this one turns earth into fire. This one's in the air. Doesn't have, but yeah. The problem is, is she'd take the power from the bat, and then the bat would be weaker and plummet to the ground. That'd be foolish. Yes. I'm sure there's logic to it. I'll I'll read the book. But you see, you see, one of the things they definitely don't do, but and I'm considering it is, surely it would make sense to get a bag of mice and just be like, right, oh no, you'd kill the mice. That'd be awful. Don't want that. Yeah, you don't want that. The bat. It sounds like you're going to kill something either way. Bag of fleas. Oh, that'd be really if you could if you could focus it. What's, what uh, is happening? No, no, no. Picking animals if that you, we think are more expendable than others. If you had <coughs> specific life draining powers, that would be awesome. Like if you were a very specific sort of vampire, totally, totally nothing to do with the night fair now, but it's totally on a tangent. If you had like the power to drain the life force and choose, you could go up to someone with. A dangerous bacteria or virus, and just go right. I've killed all of that because I've drained its life. Pow! Yeah. Wipe out malaria. That'd be amazing. It would. It's got nothing to do with this. It would be a particularly exciting novel. Just a nice concept. I'm <laughs> sure it needs a bit more for for, for to make our novel. Mm. Yeah. But at least if you did choose bacteria, you'd never run out of supply. Mm. Mm. There's, there's like loads of them. yeah, like literally, there's bacteria everywhere. How much like oh, uh, Zebra Girl does that? Um, she, uh, it's a webcomic, um, and she's a demon. So like, basically, what happens? Gone on tangent, but what happens in we, Zebra? We like tangents. What happens in Zebra Girl is um, her friend has this ancient magic book called Tommy, the ancient tome, and he slams it too quickly. And all the magic kind of bursts out of it. Oh, God. Um, and it turns his friend, Sandra, into a demon. And she's still got a soul, so she's still her, but she now has the body of a demon. And the demon is... it a is, zebra-like demon? It's a zebra-like demon. It's black and white, it has three eyes uh, and horns, but it's black and white and it has a long tail. Uh, and so she is the zebra girl of the, of the title. And one of the things we learn is that the reason that she's always core to the touch is because she's constantly draining life from the world. Um, and um, surface bacteria just is annihilated as they walk. They, they they literally demons when they walk in the world just kill lower forms of life as they walk through unconsciously. Yeah. So so they sterilize as they move, and but they have to actively think when they want to kill mm. complicated living things. But the, you know insects and things just die near them, which is really bad for you know you have enough of them in a biosphere and it destroys the biosphere. So anyway, um, 
The Nine Frame. Enjoyed it. You should read it. It will probably be out now by the time you listen to this podcast. Um, shall we talk about other things? We have exciting things to talk about. We can do, yeah. I mean, we could talk about fancy creatures because there's fancy creatures in the radio. Fancy creatures. Um, have we had a jingle yet? We had one at the start. We had a jingle at the start. Let's not you? have another jingle. By the way, if you want to have a jingle on the show, um, and we'll see what we can do, because we, we have a small number of jingles, but if you want one, get in touch with us at Radio Bookworm, and we can cheerfully do jingles. Um, fantasy creatures. Oh, actually, witches. Size. Should I talk about the uh, Stephen Briggs stage adaptation of Terry Pratchett's Weird Sisters. You should indeed, yes please. Okay, well, in 1996, um, a team of, no, I was about to go into an 18, <laughs> segue then, yeah, yeah, it wasn't going to happen. Um, 1996, um, Stephen Briggs um, brought to life Terry Pratchett's novel Weird Sisters on the stage. Terry Pratchett uh, only sort of gave the stage licence to essentially his local Amdram company um, because he's Terry Pratchett and quirky like that. Uh, Stephen Briggs uh, had already was already quite accomplished in that world by then, he'd already written and sort of produced several plays, so yeah, he got together and he adapted Weird Sisters for the stage. Uh, it's published by Random House, came out in 1996. Actually, it's really, really good. Um, I mean, if you know Pratchett novels, you'll you'll think like that's going to be very, very hard to put on stage. Yes. Um, a lot of audience imagination is involved with all the adaptations, but Weird Sisters, I think, is absolutely perfect. The reason for that is it's very stagey. Um, it is partially about a company of actors. So we can get a bit meta. There's a whole play within a play <laughs> section at the end, um, and um, it, it's good. It, it, the whole structure of it does does suit a play. Um, it's a take on Macbeth, um, and also it's a great for non Pratchett fans as well. So if you don't know Terry Pratchett and you get the opportunity to go and see this play, don't be put off by not knowing anything about it. It's it's a good, solid introduction. Um, play opens with three witches on stage uh, around a, a cauldron. One of them cackles maniacally. <laughs> when shall we three meet again? Which point the other one says, well, a week next Tuesday be good. Can't do Wednesday. I'm babysitting for my youngest. And, I love that line. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and uh, that's a really good introduction to to Granny Weatherwax, Nanny Og, and Young Magrat, who who are our three witches. Um, at the, you know, the scene moves on, and a dying soldier hands over to them a baby who is the heir to the throne, with the king just having been assassinated. Um, and the rest of the book is well sorry the rest of the play is about what the witches do about this because the new king doesn't particularly like the country that he's taken over and uh, the country that he's taken over doesn't particularly like him and also he thinks the witches are interferers and tries to get them so it's very much in their interests to sort of conflict with him um, so he's a bit of a Macbeth character but the difference being the witches aren't on his side, I suppose, in this. Uh, the play well, there's an interesting argument to be had. 
Well, well, are they ever on his side? Yes. Yeah, or are they just mm. just a cult? Yeah, the, the witches in this are definitely occult forces with their own agendas. They're not particularly on anyone's side but their own, and possibly the people and the land. Um, but they're they're good. They're really down to earth characters. Um, the reason why I've been reading this is because I am in it. Uh, I'm in a new production of it uh, coming to Bolton Little Theatre. March 6th to March the 11th. There's the plug. Yay. Come see it. Come see it. It's a good production. Um, but how, how structurally similar is it to Macbeth? Not that. Um, the villain, uh, Duke Falmut, um, like Macbeth, can't seem to get the blood off his hands. He's constantly imagining it. And we turn this into a, a stage gaff. All the way through, he's increasingly distracted by the blood on his hands. You know, at the start, he's just constantly wiping it with a hanky. By the end of it, he's going at it with a cheese grater. Oh. You know, he's, uh, um, the his wife, uh, the Duchess, is very Lady Macbeth, very Lady Macbeth indeed. You know, if you if you're an actress and you want to play Lady Macbeth but haven't had the chance, the part of the Duchess will do just fine. Thank you very much. Um, <laughs> And uh, so there are there are a lot of similarities. Um, I mean, there's, there's there's other stuff going on with in Macbeth. There's this whole prophecy about the trees coming closer and things like that. And so he burns the forest. So he burns the forest. Um, and Duke Falmouth in this also burns the forest because he thinks the trees are whispering to him. And the the land wakes up. The land rebels against the new king. So all the you know, the, the, there's a scene where uh, Granny Weatherwax discusses her morning to find that all the forest animals had parked themselves outside her cottage. <laughs> I remember that bit distinctly in the in the novel because it's like they're all there, and, and then I, I believe Danny Oak's like, "Did it descend into bloodshed very shortly afterwards?" It's like, "No." It's really disturbing. <laughs> it's just creepy. They're all just staring at me. Yeah. Uh, so th- there are a lot of similarities to Macbeth. He, he does takes on Macbeth. In terms of the structure of it, um, there are differences. I don't believe there's any time warps in Macbeth. Um, <laughs> whereas in this one, Granny Weatherwax artificially changes time so that the little baby heir to the throne can come back as a young man. She uh, time warps through the entire kingdom of Lanka fifteen years into the future. My, my, my <laughs> That's a fairly powerful magic. Yeah, yeah. Granny Weatherwax. Yeah. Granny oh, Weatherwax yeah, and, and Nanny Og. They've got to they've got to bump start the broomsticks as well, <laughs> which is quite funny. Watching watching a couple of Bolton, <laughs> Bo- uh, Bolton actresses in their sixties sort of r- <laughs> bump starting these broomsticks on stage. Talk, I mean, talking of which, this, this particular production that I'm in. Um, they're making the most of the idea that Lanker is Lancashire. Uh, yes. and, and, Why not? And oh, I think, yeah. you know, you've not seen a good Granny Weatherwax or Nanny Og until you've heard a Bolton actress of a certain age playing it because the dialogue really suits. Yeah, broad accents. Really accent, suits. Very broad accents, yeah. You, you yeah. see, when you said Macbeth has no time warps, my brain went full Rocky Horror. <laughs> Oh, God. And now I kind of want to see. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> when the director was directing us the other day, he kept saying, "Now just a step to the left," <laughs> and I, I had to really fight my urge to go, and then a jump to the right. Oh no! But um, from a production point of view, Weird Sisters has got twenty-three scene changes. Yeah, oh. it does. It's, yeah. it's it's pretty complex structurally. 
Um, but what's I mean the way that Stephen Briggs advises the 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 the, um, the, the company to do it is the way that, that we're doing it, which is mainly through uh, just lighting. Yeah. You've got you've got yeah. you've got you've got three or four different areas of the stage, which represent four broad different scenes or areas, and you have lighting states. I mean, the play within a play scene at the end is absolute chaos. It's, as they always should be. As they always should yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. So what you've got is a set of people on one area of the stage who occasionally come up who are in the audience, so Granny and that lot are watching the play. You've got another bit of the stage which is on stage and they have to sort of pretend to be watching it from the other side. You've got another bit of the stage which is backstage and they just keep bringing up the lights in different areas and people have to freeze while it moves about. But it, it, it works surprisingly well. Um, it works surprisingly well. Uh, at that point and uh... a device Shakespeare's very keen on because he does it uh, he does it in Hamlet and he does it in Midsummer Night's Dream plays within plays Mm. yeah yeah and they're always comical yeah Uh, and this one certainly is you know um, the the sort of the actors playing the witches playing the witches if you see what I mean (laughs) they're not the actual not actual Granny Weatherwax but the actors playing the witches are a funny bunch and there's a lot of opportunity for comedy in there and overacting it's all a bit of a pantomime actually to play within a play mm, yeah. um, I am playing various minor characters I am I am various comedic guards uh, I am one of the witches uh, not the witch witches the, the, the actor witches oh, okay. uh, I am a robber there's, there's one scene in Ankh-Morpork uh, and I, I get to mug one of the main <laughs> characters um, yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just. I'm going to sense that might turn out badly for you. No, it turns out very well. Quite, quite profitable. Yeah. Quite profitable. <laughs> I, um, I mean, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't give him what you call an actual kicking. You know, not really. <laughs> More sort of foot nudging sort of thing. Um, what other uh, Terry Pratchett? Novels been turned into plays. But quite a lot of them, yeah, yeah, actually. I, I believe there's a Guards Guards. Masquerade. Um, masquerade. Um, it's probably on the inside cover of any given Terry Pratchett. Yeah, uh, I've got a copy of the I've got a copy of the Rinse Cycle um, at home, which I haven't read all the way through. The Rinse Cycle is basically Colour of Magic, Light Fantastic, and one other. But I don't know. This I honestly a, don't know how they're going to do that. That's like a wonderful pun on Rinsen's it, name. It, it is, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, to me, the ring, the ring cycle. Yeah, but yeah, it is. It's, 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 it's a total, total, total washing us. machine pun. Um, I'm not sure. I mean, that's going to involve a lot of effects and imagination. There's been a special effects in Weird Sisters as well. Um, Magra and uh, Granny Weatherwax both throw fireballs. Ooh, which is um, how do you do that on stage? Uh, Flash paper. Yeah, you, you, you base, no, um, it's a device that goes on your hand, um, like a basically a, a ring with a thing, and you and it just a little flame comes wow. out and it shoots about four or five foot. You've oh, got to be I really careful to point one. it away from. Uh, <laughs> it's I, one shot. You've got to reload it in between each. But, but don't. That, uh, yeah. But the mugger who tries to jump you when you're wearing one of those is going to yeah, know yeah. about it. At a, at a risk of horrifying, I've, I've played with one before, and I was. Fine. And you have all your fingers. I'm stunned. <laughs> uh, you lost al- a set of clothes. Man. <laughs> someone else almost lost their eyebrows, but that's a different conversation. Oh. 
Because it is just flash paper, isn't it? It's just like, it is, yes. But yeah. do, the, do the asterisks or something mean something? Uh, it's, well, I don't think this has all of them. By Stephen it actually, Bridge. It actually yeah. doesn't Good have grief. all of them anyway, but it's Weird Sisters, Men at Arms, and Guards, Guards, Mort is a play. But as said, like, I work. know Masquerade is mm. a play, so I'm going to see Masquerade like, would work as well. find another one. But that, that is a bibliography that's going on for two straight pages. That's ridiculous. Uh, oh, was, but all of his books have He was very productive, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. 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 As, we've, as we've segued into that, shall we talk about that other production that's on its way, which is um, Good Omens. It's coming to the screen. Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So is American Gods. Yeah. We had Neil Gaiman on the show for to talk about American Gods, and I did ask him about Good Omens, mm-hmm. and it was two days before the press release came out, so he was like, I can only tell you this much. Um, <laughs> oh, but you, you can listen to the show, It's uh, I think it's called Old Gods and Secret Languages, Old Tongues, uh, I think it's episode three or four of the show, so you've probably listened to it already. But yeah, Good Omens, mm-hmm. uh, in production of Amazon. Okay. Oh, well, Amazon make good telly. Sorry, I have my back to the microphone. Amazon are making some good telly. Mm. Um, oh, but we've committed to Netflix. Oh, see, I've got, I've got, I've got Amazon and Netflix and Now TV, but I think we're probably not going to have Now TV forever. But no, but yet yeah, they both make really good telly. Netflix is amazing. I'm, almost, I would rather get rid of my TV license than get rid of Amazon or Netflix. I couldn't bear to get rid of my TV licence because, no, I don't because want to. of the BBC. I yeah. want it to survive. Though I, I think... want it to survive, but of all the three of them, I watch less telly than I watch oh, yeah. on-demand streaming. Yeah. I think, to be honest, the totally off-topic of books, but the BBC licence should be... The TV licence should be replaced with a thing that's called the arts tax. It should be twice as much as it is, and you have to pay it. Oh, the uh, the arguments you, the arguments you would get because I don't um, care jail for you. Yeah, you, you, I think it's art, I think it's arts council funding um, continually shows that most people think that they're paying too much money for the arts and it should, the contribution should be less. Um, but if you actually look on the back of your little tax statement that you sometimes get these days, the amount of your money that's actually going to fund the arts, culture, and sport, which they all bracket together, is oh, so ludicrously low. Do you know what? You don't, call it, yeah. you don't call it laughable. an arts task. You call it a Britishness task, uh, tax, and they'll pay that. Yeah. Um, I, I have cheated in looking at this bibliography, two-page bibliography of Tay Pratchett, uh, and the ones which are published by Samuel French, who are the uh, theatrical script publishers, include Masquerade, Carpe Juglim, and Lords and Ladies. Uh, and Mephew and Drama have got Interesting Times, Jingo, The Fifth Elephant, The Truth, Night Watch, Monstrous Regiment, and Going Postal. And there's also reference to uh, Mort, Weird Sisters, Men at Arms, and Guards, Guards. Of Good Omens, actually. That would be well. That that'd be difficult, though, wouldn't it? As well, it could work. You've got. Let's see. You've got. You have to be careful with the child actors. Can you not just cast them as young adults? I suppose so. Yeah, but yeah. still, things that would happen off-screen through the recruiting of the horsemen. Um. Oh, no. you could do that as a scene. It depends how old. It depends how old the children are supposed to be. How old are they supposed to be? They're, they're, they're right. st- older primary school, aren't they? You see, you're gonna have to. You're gonna be stretching it for a sixteen-year-old to cover that. I could do it. You could do it, Dale. What's about your playing? Angelique? I'm a chameleon. <laughs> <laughs> no, you do. No, you, you can. You do it the way you do Famous Five, which gives you the yeah, right just, idiom. 
do it yeah. school holidays because mm. they're meant to be they're, they're meant to be um, I'm fairly sure the actual licensing arrangements still apply in the school holidays but but they're meant to be like famous the kids in Good Omens if you've not read Good Omens go read Good Omens mm. um, the kids in Good Omens are meant to be this kind of famous five yeah. being all comic cliche so you just take adult actors and put them in short shorts mm. But then, but there's actual adults in it. The only time yeah. I've ever seen that done, and I've seen it done effectively, there are no adults in the play. See, like Blue Remembered Hills, there's no yeah. adults in that play. The Railway Children, um, which recently closed at King's Cross Theatre, makes a fairly good fist of it. Um, in that Bobby, um, Phyllis, and uh, Peter are played by adults throughout. Interacting with the other characters um, as if they were the children. To, to be honest, there until is... the very last scene, when they talk step back and it's three kids in their place instead. But it only happens for one scene, and the way they do that to get around the licensing is that they have teams of kids, and that's the mm. way West Yorkshire Playhouse did it. it was strictly boring as well. They that... had because they, they, that's two kids in it, and they have do you know three what? teams. That would work really well because I, I looking back to the novel, I think there's only like one or two scenes where the kids actually interact with any adults. An awful lot of the time, it's just them in their own world. Your father is coming, Adam. At which point, you 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 make them children yeah. because they're children. Yeah. Um, so at that point, they're children, but you keep their costumes and the things yeah. they're wearing. Uh, I I honestly think that would work really well because I, I think it's only really at the very end when they go to the army base that they actually interact with any adult. A chunk of it can do men sitting on a bench. I yeah. think there's there's lots of stage stuff that's got kids in, mm. like Matilda. Yeah, mm. they that's rotate on, a lot of kids. Yeah, you just that rotate, well. them. You rotate them. Yeah. I think it's going to be quite an acting challenge for those kids to do them justice. Though. But do you kids? And how dark is the subject material? Because you, you've got to watch for your health and wealth being your kids. And but but not yeah. In terms of the stuff that happens to the kids and with the kids, it's not that bad. I don't know. Okay. Mm. It's um, there's a there's a sort of innocence lost, but it's mm. but their but their childlike innocence is the thing that saves them. Yeah. Mm. I think if, the bigger problem is going to be the dog. Oh no, the dog's fine. Do you, do, you, do you normally have plays with animals on stage? You can do, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Bolton Octagon are like, looking to recruit a dog at the minute. They are. Uh, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang <laughs> has a, a whole There's load a job application, you know, I've missed. <laughs> Breakfast but, at Tiffany's at Todd had cat. Okay. But the, the, way, cat. the way you do the introduction of dog is you just have a massive shadow of a hellhound. Mm. And then when a tiny Yorkie comes on, mm. the, entire sta- the entire audience mm. erupts. And that 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 is the gag. Yeah. So, uh, Mister Gaiman's listening. We've given you this marvelous idea. Yeah. Send, send you our piece and more. Is he? Is he not uh, so many Wizard of Oz productions have, have Toto, don't they? Yeah. And an yeah. Dog. yeah. Yeah. And pantos you occasionally get live yeah. animals, don't you? Yeah. I I worked on a Cinderella once that had Shetland ponies. Oh. Yeah. It's not great the way they kept backstage, is it? What brilliant! See now, and it was a weird theatre space with not much backstage either. Mm. See now I'm thinking of stage productions of the the Jen Williams books, and not only do I want to see a giant, giant bat. flying bat on stage, <laughs> but when it comes to the, the copper cat, there's a there is actually a griffin in there. I believe he's got like a riding griffin. Are we going to see a pantomime griffin? I I want I want two people in a in a pantomime griffin costume. Amazing. <laughs> I, I want that in the in that that kind of you know that panto way where you've got your like your legs 
working the, the legs of it Bernie Winters Bernie Winters style oh gotcha that's a... yeah that would work really well we can have like you can have um, what they're called uh, stilts on as well and you yeah just, I mean I can't because I am about coordinated as a dead seagull <laughs> uh, which is don't, what, don't overestimate your talents there <laughs> which is why I'm not allowed to do Tauntaun cosplay because I really would have loved to do Tauntaun cosplay as a guy on, a guy on a Tauntaun from Star Wars no. um, with you know producer Al won't let you <laughs> well, well that's because I'd find some stairs and then that would be the end of me because um, I'd get very very excited as well and it would just go horribly wrong it would wrong. go Bernie Williams again wouldn't he <laughs> will be an edge lit, lit in is it June? July? July July will be an edge lit mm. in July um, we will also myself and producer Al and possibly other members of the team will be at Worldcon 75 you might be able to find us at Eastercon uh, we will be doing some short stuff at Eastercon so that's all terribly exciting um, there's probably other things as well but I've forgotten most of it <laughs> so shall we run away? yes okay Scamper. Bye. Bye.